0: Do that. I'd sort of start with why I think this is an important topic um, for those who train coaches, in particular, which would be you all. Um, and then we could go from there. And I'd love to just have it really be a give and take and dialogue. And I'll answer whatever questions you have. But um, just as a basic introduction, this book is not just about business development. It's really about the mindsets that trip us up on our way to successful business development. And it's a different look at business development because it's not just looking at having your marketing materials all pretty and it's not just looking at how do you network with the right people, but it's actually looking at three domains of activity that have to be going simultaneously. So it's activity in the domains of networking, marketing, and sales. And in the book I talk about there being a sweet spot in the middle of where all three of those intersect, and that sweet spot is where you seal the deal. Now, why would this be important for you as coach trainers, and I think there's a number of reasons. Even if the people you're training do not go on to be their own independent consultants or independent coaches in their own business, even if they don't ever have to go do business development to grow their practice or to grow
1: their business,
0: chances are somewhere along the lines they're going to be coaching someone who is an entrepreneur or coaching someone who's starting a new business venture, or maybe they're coaching someone in an organization who needs to sell his or her ideas or who who needs to influence others. And the same 10 steps that are outlined in the book, um, I've been using internally with my uh, coaching clients, with the executives that I coach. And I'm finding that the same 10 steps that we use outside to build business are also very useful internally to increase visibility and chart a career trajectory that really lets the individual be in charge of their career. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that a trend that... I'm seeing in, in the world that you're probably seeing in your students is that there's a lot of retiring baby boomers who want to capitalize on their experience and start a career either as a coach or a consultant. So you're, my guess is that you're probably seeing a lot more um, older retiring executives coming in as, as your students. Um, and so this is a, the, the concepts in Seal the Deal are really about how do you take everything that you know and tweak your mindsets in such a way so that you can really hit the ground running. Um, so that's, I think that's about all I want to say as an introduction, and I want to answer your questions and see what you think would be the best use of our time in terms of dialogue today and,
1: um,
0: and really just go from there.
1: Now, Sissy, this is
0: Marilyn O'Hearn
1: in Kansas City, and I'm wondering if you have an example of an exercise from the book that you could put us through a brief exercise so we just get kind of a taste or feel. Sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd love to do that. The book is actually full of a lot of exercises and um, templates and worksheets and handouts. The reason it's designed that way is because it, um, a, the, one of the core premises that runs through the book, not really a premise, it's more of a format, I guess, is that I I often conduct teleclasses with coaches or people who are new to coaching around business development. And the telecourses um, have been transcribed as part of this book. So how you walk through each of the ten steps is that you really get to see an actual teleclass of colleagues going through, dealing with their fears and concerns and issues as they go through this whole thing. And one of the exercises that... um, I could do a little bit with you guys, is the concept of the 30-second commercial. And this is different from how you might have heard it talked about before. This is not memorize an elevator speech that only takes 30 seconds. The way I approach it is a modular approach, So because there are a lot of – it really depends on your learning style. And as we know, everyone has different learning styles. But some people like to have a few key bullet points in their head, and if you can capture – the modules that you want to incorporate in your 30-second introduction or your 30-second commercial, then you can build it for each particular audience as you go. And so one of the ways that we do that is I I basically can, um, and I don't know, do you want to do, do, is your request, Marilyn, that we actually do that now to sort of walk through what the modules are and try it out? Do you want to do that?
1: I would be up for that. I don't know what other people are looking for today. What What do other folks think? of value today? Sounds
0: good. Yep, sounds good to me.
2: Yeah, it'd be
0: nice to have a taste in your work like that. Okay, great. So let's do that then. So the 30-second commercial, and where, so the idea is that this is how you would introduce yourself in a variety of settings, Um, and it's a modular approach so that you can build on it as needed, and the idea is to stimulate conversation. The idea is not to memorize a speech and and recite it by rote. Um, So, The first part of the 30-second commercial is really to talk about who you are, um, to introduce your name, and you do that in a way, if you have a name that's hard to remember, you might add a little something to your name, and if you're introducing yourself by your name, it could be your name or your business name or the name of your school, depending on what you want people to remember and the context in which you're introducing yourself. Um, It's useful to add a little something about how you remember, how people can remember your name, whether it's something that rhymes with your name, whether it's something unusual about the spelling of your name, or whether it's uh, an image that you can attach to your name. And one example that's just an obvious, easy example is, you know, James Bond always introduces himself. I know he's a fictional character, but it's always Bond, James Bond, right? Very memorable. Um, so, So the first module, the first piece is your name. The second module is some credibility points about you or your work. Now, what are credibility points? That could include um, degrees. It could include years of experience. It could include numbers of clients. It could include particularly impressive names of clients. Um, It could include books that you've authored or um, any other thing that you want credibility for that you think lends credibility to you or your work. The next module is Sort of the next two modules, I think, go hand in hand. It's whom do you help and what do you help them to do. And the trick around this one is to have it be in as simple language as possible so it's not filled with jargon based on whatever industry you're in, but that it's actually so understandable that the man on the street or a child could understand it. Um, And then the next module is what energizes and excites you about what you do. So what are you passionate about? And then you can throw in there any other impressive tidbits or factoids that you want to throw in there. But what I'd like to do is play with this a little bit and actually have somebody try it out. And I know you haven't had time to sit down and write out all your modules or think through all your modules, but let's try it out just live and playing with it so that you can start to um, see how to build this. Does someone want to?
3: Yes. Susie, this is Peter Redding. Could you you give us yours? Oh, sure. Oh, Peter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm Susie Pomerantz, I'm an executive coach and leadership development uh, author, and I have worked with 115 organizations worldwide over the last 13 years, and I've recently authored a book called Seal the Deal. And I have my MCC, which is Master Certified Coach, for those who don't know that, um, and a master's degree in teaching.
4: Um,
0: And what I do is I help leaders and organizations to find clarity in chaos. Um, so that's, that's my brief one. And what, what you do is with your modules, you, start, you, you say as much as you want of all your modules to stimulate conversation. Okay. If you're in a cocktail party, you might just say a few little tidbits in the beginning to get someone to say, oh, really, well, what does that mean or how do you do that? I often like to, in a conversation, stop after the part about um, I help leaders and organizations find clarity in chaos because then people go, oh, what's that? How do you do that? And then you're in a conversation, which is what you want
3: beautiful thank you
0: yeah so who wants to play
3: i'll play okay
0: great
2: so who are you
3: i am peter redding and my company's name is positively brilliant i am an mcc master certified coach i have taught courses at johns hopkins university I have been training people in a philosophy of learning for the last 12 years that is positively brilliant. <laughs> and I work with anyone that is interested in creating environments where people thrive. That's at the organizational level, that's in public school systems, and that's one-on-one.
5: I am, and I am
3: passionate about learning and about bringing the joy of learning back to learning.
4: Oh,
0: that's great. Great. I love the I love your company name, by the way. And my only uh, suggestion and tweak for you in your introduction would be to start with your company name. I know it's a little bit counterintuitive, uh-huh. but if you introduce yourself as I'm Positively Brilliant, and my name is Peter Redding, I think it's really it, it's very humorous and light, and I and I think it um it's memorable. It's very memorable. Cool. Yeah, because then people will be hooked by the humor and lightness of you introducing yourself as your company name, and then they'll be ready to hear and remember your name.
3: Okay. I'll try that.
0: You know how when we meet people for the first time, we're often looking at their face and taking in all the nonverbals, and we often miss their name entirely because we're busy studying them and (laughs) getting into the conversation? I don't know. It happens to me. I find that at the end of meeting someone, I often have to ask them their name again. Mm -hmm. So this way they get to... You know, they get they get to see that you're positively brilliant before they find out that you're Peter Redding. Cool. And you could always Redding is a great one because you could always compare it to Redding, Pennsylvania, or you know, there's a lot of ways to remember Redding.
3: And and it does have an unusual spelling, so I can use that as well. Because it's only it's it's R-E-D-I-N-G, one D. Oh wow. So it's it's unusual from a Redding railroad or Redding, Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking reading reading, since you have this passion about learning <laughs> and this, the tie-in between reading and reading. That's great. So
0: I'd love to take a quick poll around the room and hear what was, if there was one thing that stood out for you about Peter's introduction, what did you hear most? What's the one thing that stuck with you?
6: Hi. Susie? Yes. Uh, this is uh, Dave's work in Albany, New York. And, hi. Uh, hi. And when I heard uh, Peter say positively brilliant uh, and he taught classes. Uh, I didn't hear him say anything about, I did hear him say about training people, but uh, immediately I was curious, how are you going to make me positively brilliant?
0: Ah, that's great. What else
1: did people hear? What stuck with you? Uh, this is Carol from Newfield. Uh, his passion when he talked about being passionate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marilyn, it was the tie in between positively brilliant and learning. Yeah.
5: I thought the Johns Hopkins reference gave quite a bit of credibility, too.
0: Absolutely. And also a point of geographic mm-hmm.
7: reference as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's Linda. Hi, everybody. I didn't introduce myself before, but... Um, hey, Linda. Hi. Uh, I liked um, the bringing joy back into learning. I liked that a lot. Yeah.
0: Anyone else want to contribute what you heard in Peter's introduction?
1: Is Adria. Well, the whole thing was pretty upbeat. Like what I liked about it is it flowed. It did flow. It really flowed.
0: And you yes. know he hasn't really rehearsed it because we just talked about okay. what the modules were two seconds ago, right? The other thing I
2: like is it made me more curious to want more. Yeah. Like it's fascinating. Okay, I want to hear about this.
6: Yeah.
0: And that's okay. the key to a good introduction is that you, want to, you make people want to know more.
6: Uh, Susie, this is Dave again, but, you know, the words matched the energy. It wasn't contrived.
0: Right. It was natural, and that's a key point that, that's a key mindset that I talk about a lot in the book, that you want, it's not about tips and strategies and techniques. It's about nat- your natural style and bringing forth your natural energy and your natural style. So business development is only as good as, as like you're saying, Dave, that it, it's only as good as that is a match for your natural energy and for who you are as a person. So with Peter, Peter, the feedback that you just heard around the room is really great feedback for the key points that people heard the most. I would definitely keep in the Positively brilliant, keep in the passion for learning and the joy about learning, and keep in the the Johns Hopkins reference, um, because that resonated with people, and they heard it. Now, Peter, let me just check back in with you. I'd love to know, does this modular approach feel like something that you could easily take with you into any setting in which you introduce yourself?
3: I, yeah, absolutely. I believe it could, and I, like you said initially in setting it up, that it, it could be tailored to the audience. If it's if it's school teachers that I'm in front of, then it would be geared towards them. If it's business leaders or business trainers or executives, I could I could focus it to them as well as if I'm in front of a parent group. Um, my work applies to all of those different areas, but it could be customized to that, which I like.
0: And the funny thing about it too is that. If you're someone who does a lot of public speaking where other people are introducing you, you start to be aware of how much more powerful your own 30-second introduction is than having other people introduce you. Um, so you start to actually say, no, no, I'll handle my own introduction. I prefer to do it that way. It's the kind of thing where you do it so often that you could do it in the middle of the night. If someone woke you up and said, who are you, Peter Reddick, you could do. You know, I'm positively brilliant. That's uh, who I am.
3: I'm positively brilliant. <laughs> All
0: right. That's great. Okay, who else wants to try Anyone else want to take a stab at introducing yourself?
1: Oh, come on. We're a nice group. Well, sadly, I'd, I'd rather you know. I I think we've got that. I mean, and I'd okay. like to hear what are some of the topics, like the chapters that are in this book. So you, you said it was modular. You've given us an example. And I, I'm really pleased because intuitively I didn't say a lot about you because I figured you could do it yourself. <laughs> See, you must <laughs> have had that impact on me. But I would like to hear like what are the different things you talk about in your book?
0: Okay, there are. Ten, it's broken down into ten steps, and the okay. steps are the, woven throughout. The steps are the essential mindsets, and the reason it focuses on mindsets is mm-hmm. like I said, it's not. I, I'm not interested in teaching tips, techniques, strategies, gimmicks. Um, I'm really looking at. I think. If my key point when I'm talking to coaches, for example, is that the same skills that you use in coaching that make you a great coach are the same skills that you use in the business development process. That's If, if there's one thing that you take out of this call, that would be the one thing I want you to take. The same thing is true when I talk to attorneys about business development. The same skills that make them really great as attorneys are the same skills that they need to bring forth in their business development process. Um, so. If you, as, an, wow. as instructors and educators, the things that make you great and powerful educators are the things that you would bring forth in your own business development process. Yeah. So that's that said as a, as a context, the steps are, step one is demystifying selling and distinguishing networking, marketing, and sales. So we spend some time looking at what, what is the difference between networking and marketing and sales. Um, I don't know if that would be useful to spend any time on in this call or not. So let me just run through the steps and then you can come back to that if that would be useful. Um, the second step is the sales process and targeting prospects and branding. The third step is calling prospects and setting up the first meeting. The, ste- the fourth step is handling gatekeepers and objections. The fifth step is the client meeting as a chess match. The sixth step is following up and tracking. The seventh step is proposals, pricing, and contracting. The eighth step is networking. The ninth step is lessons learned, meetings, and expanding the sale while serving the client. And the last step is building business and the art of referrals. And then there's a a chapter about integrating it all, and then there's a chapter about final thoughts and next steps.
2: Could you go through those steps one more time?
0: Sure. And I think, let me see, they should also be on the website, um, which is www.sealthedealbook.com. I think they're on there, but I'll run through them one more time for you. It's step one, demystifying selling and distinguishing networking, marketing, and sales. And each of these steps, by the way, kicks off with the teleclass session that talks about that topic and then goes into some more um, explanation as well as the the worksheets and templates and things. Step two is the sales process, targeting prospects and branding. Step 3 is calling prospects and setting up the first meeting. Step 4 is handling gatekeepers and objections. Oh, I know where you can see all of this. I just thought of it, on Amazon. On Amazon.com, if you go to Seal the Deal, you'll find there's a Search Inside feature on my book, and you can actually search the table of contents, if that would be helpful. But anyway, to keep going through it, Step 4 is handling gatekeepers and objections. Step 5 is the client meeting as a chess match. Step six is following up and tracking. Step seven is proposals, pricing, and contracting. Step eight is networking. Step nine is the lessons learned, meetings, and expanding the sale while serving the client. Step 10 is building business and the art of referrals. And then the last two chapters are about integrating it and next steps.
1: Uh, Susie, this is Carol from Newfield. Yeah. one of the conundrums, I think, that that we face as a school, and I know we spent lots of time discussing this, like who's responsible or who's accountable for teaching the skills, but here's what I find with our students. It's like they have all the good ideas. You know, we take them to the essential steps of building a business, even a couple of of long-term exercises that they uh, do over time, but in the end, it's the doing of it, and the the I guess it's the resistance to doing it. Or I thought there would be people with checks and credit cards waiting for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't like networking, marketing, and selling. That's kind of like the bottom line. Yep. So what do you have to say about that?
0: All right. Those are those are exactly why the, why I wrote the book in the first place, because I was hearing those mm. same mindsets everywhere I went. And this first stemmed, even though the book just came out, the idea first stemmed back in 1999 when I went to um, the ICF conference in Orlando. It was the fourth annual conference. And everyone that I met there, it was the first time I'd gone to an ICF conference, even though I'd been a member since before it was ICF. Um, and i that was the first conference I'd gone to. There were 1,000 people there, and every single person I met, and I'd already been coaching for some years by then, um, every single person I met was asking me, you know, how do you get business? How do you get your clients? And, and I couldn't believe that there weren't other people who already knew how to do this. Um, and so that was of what planted the seeds for me, and when I started really talking and and getting really involved in the coaching world, I do a lot of stuff in the coaching world. I serve on a couple of different boards for the International Journal for Coaching and Organizations and the International Consortium for Coaching and Organizations, and so the point is that while I I talk to people in the field, what I hear over and over and over again are the same mindsets that you just mentioned, and so that's really where the book came from, um, is addressing those mindsets, because... the secret to business development, and why I think every coach needs to know this, even if they're not out there developing business, is that there are places where we stop ourselves because we have mindsets about the way something should be or has to be that doesn't line up with why we became coaches in the first place and who we are as coaches and how we got good at being coaches. So my mm-hmm. my basic premise is that the, the – and I feel really passionate about this <laughs> – so what What makes us great coaches are the ability to listen, the ability to ask very good questions, the ability to synthesize what we're hearing and and direct it for the advancement and betterment of the clients, right? All of those things have have to be part of the business development process, otherwise you won't succeed. And so when coaches are looking at business development as a thing they have to do, like the bookkeeping side of your business if they're an independent business person, you know, they look at it as something that they don't know how to do or that they're not comfortable doing it or is it something different and foreign, and it's really not. If you look at it in the context of why you became a coach in the first place, what you're trying to do in the world, um, it, it it flows much more naturally and it's able to become part of your personality and, and your style. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question, Carol?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that the challenge is to is for us to have, you know, the support systems where they can, uh, you may recognize the mindset <coughs> that is the, the breakdown for you,
7: mm-hmm.
1: but getting past it is another story. That's exactly right. Um,
0: that's exactly right. So that could be something, you know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, I know this has been a topic amongst coach training organizations for quite some time, and my curiosity is around why... Why isn't this part of every coach training program? Not just the, the tactical how-to, but why isn't the mindsets of it linking, linking how to create coaching opportunities or opportunities in which to practice the skills that you're learning in the coach training organizations? Why isn't that a natural part of every
1: program? Well, this is Carol again, because this was a part of our conversation. Well, what I found fascinating, uh, this was a couple of years ago at our annual meeting, was that we all had not only the nuts and bolts, but we all had teleclasses, we all had um, um exercises, and, you know, in our case it's a it's a four month exercise, etc. Uh and you know, the day or the week after the program structure was over, I met the the very same people who had, you know, building the skills, yeah. talking the same way. So here it's, the difference is the, I mean, that's that's my real question because it's like as a school we have a responsibility to teach the skills and support the learning, uh, but we're just like other schools. It's like we, we give them the tools and the practices and et cetera, and yet it's up to them in the end to put those, to implement those. So I actually think, and I'd like to hear from other folks, it's, it's that big hole between understanding, which in this case seems to be the booby prize.
0: It's, it really, for me, the missing link is the mindset because it's just like anything else. You could learn the skills of what it takes to maintain uh, the healthy body weight for you, right? It takes eating less than you exercise out. But how many people know that and have the mindsets that get in the way of them actually living and fulfilling that? Yeah. Right? So just like anything, it's, it's a subtle mindset shift but very powerful. Um, mm. And just to make it specific to me, what I did is I had that very same thing. I'm a coach. I'm not a salesperson. I got into coaching to help people to make a difference. I don't want to, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a helper. I'm not a seller. I'm not a marketer. I'm not going to go be pushy and, and push my, w- my way and force myself onto people. I had that very same thing. And the subtle mind shift for me that made all the difference in the world is when I framed it inside the context of who I am as someone who is passionate about making a difference with people. I'm here to contribute. And when I carry that forth and speak from that in a business development game, then I can play that game. If I'm coming from shoulds or have-tos or you know, this is not why I'm a coach or business should just find me or whatever the mindsets are that people come into it with, then I'm not, I'm not being my full self in that process, and it's not effective. Where it's effective is in, in that alignment place where we align our mindsets with our actions.
7: Uh, Susie, it's Linda. Hey. I'm wondering to what extent do we who run the coaching uh, schools to what extent do, have we made that shift? Because, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I'm asking. I know I kind of have that same sense of, you know, ooh, sales, ooh. <laughs> yeah. And so um, uh, I'm, if we're asking why the, why the connection isn't being made with the students, I'm wondering if we're uh, kind of unconsciously um, not, um, you know, walking our talk. Well, I'd love
8: to hear
1: what other folks have to say about that. Well, it's Adria, and actually, I have something to say about it. Um, I think what I'm hearing you say, you've got a book with mindset woven through about 10 chapters, and I think that what we we do sometimes is we expect that in two days we're going to help people really shift that. And so, you know, it's about integration to me, like integrating that all all through what we're teaching them, like right? as in terms of training for coaching. I think we train mindset. I think we, over time, shift people in, the, in whatever program they're in so they come out the other end in a different place. Yeah, you'd have to. I, yeah, I'm not so sure we do that with um, marketing and sales. Mm. You see that as something separate. And I don't either. I mean, I'm with you, although I haven't written the book. I totally agree with you that it's about mindset, and it happens over time. It has to be integrated. I think many of us still ask people to do an elevator speech. I've helped coaches do that, and I, I, I sort of cringe every time because I I feel what you said, that it isn't who they truly are and it isn't what they're totally excited about. So I think if we're going to put it in, we it has to be part of what we're doing all the time, like showing up as a coach. One of the things I've always wanted to write about and haven't got around to is who is a coach in the world? And I think what you're saying to me is part of who is a coach in the world.
5: Absolutely. This is mm-hmm. Marilyn so, Young, and, I'm sorry, Bill, go ahead. Uh, just a brief uh, comment. I'm really interested in your analogy about the client meeting as chess match,
0: uh-huh.
5: and I think that's a, a good image. And yet in a game of chess, it's a kind of zero-sum, one person wins, the other loses. And here, ideally, it's a win-win for the coach and the client once there's a relationship. Correct.
0: That's correct. And um, the analogy of, of the chess match is more about how, the, how you play chess and win at chess is two things. One, remembering it's a game and not taking it too seriously. And two, thinking a couple moves ahead of the other person that you're talking to. And that is what happens in the client meeting when you're looking at selling coaching services. And I see time and time again folks who are trying to sell coaching services getting into a client meeting and thinking that all they're going to do is give a free sample of coaching and then someone's going to want to buy it at the end. That's right. not the client meeting. That's a free demo. And people have that collapsed as, um, as a business development action, and it's not.
5: Well, it's a very good distinction, just the layered and sort of thinking steps down the process. And
0: That's that it's a client. game. You know, we don't hold it as a game. As coaches, we have lots of significance and seriousness around sales and business development, lots of have-tos, lots of stress.
2: It's a game.
3: Susie? <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is Peter again, and I, I, I just, I want to um, really acknowledge you for bringing this concept of mindset, which I think is huge, and so um, it, it all starts there. And if it's not there, then the tools and techniques are going to be misused, frankly. Right. So th- there's, there's three yeah. other elements that I'd like to ask you about. That, that from our experience in working with with students over the last 10 years has showed that there's, there's three mindsets that the student needs to have in order to go into successful business development. One is there's a basic confidence in being able to deliver the, the, the skills of coaching, the process of coaching. Yep. Number two is um, for them to determine who they most want to serve. Mm-hmm.
0: On the sales as a dirty word or something that only used car salesmen or pushy telemarketing folks do is not going to support us in wanting to go out and do oh. that. Right. Yeah.
8: Um, this is Diana Haskins. I'm with the Parent of Scotia Academy. Hi. <coughs> Greetings. I popped in a little late. Um, I'd like to weigh in and um, thank you, Peter, for those thoughts. I wrote them down. Can I use them? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I've also found that in the um, altering of the mindset uh, true to the coaching fashion it is possible, and I'm interested in some feedback on this, not only to create a mindset that creates new behaviors but to create new behaviors that then create a mindset. So one of the things I do is um, specifically Carol, uh, Susie you mentioned um, uh, accounting so if you say you need to do bookkeeping or bookkeeping is something that's part of your repertoire of being a business person successful in the world, they may not have ever turned on the computer and opened Excel. How can you do projections if you can't do Excel? So one of the things I do to help ease that mindset is teach them the skill of Excel or QuickBooks or QuickBooks and it's through the practicing of the new skill and the behavior that then we can work towards the mindset and I find that to be not all the time successful. You still run into people who say I can't do accounting Um, and I just say learn it Anything can be learned, and that's what we as coaches are required to model. We require to know Excel. We require to do uh, uh, rudimentary bookkeeping skills in order to encourage others. I appreciate the uh, the sense that if we're telling our students to do something and we haven't done it, uh, shame on us. So um, that's just a read-in that I have found something that, that helps <coughs> Ease the uh, the troubled waters of uh, I don't do business I don't do marketing well um, great let's go on this to print and make a business card let's go on uh, let's learn Excel you can download it off the internet well, that's my
0: reading there's also a point at which you you as an individual coach look at what's the highest and best use of me and my time
8: mm-hmm.
0: and Somewhere along the way, I realized that the best use of my time was not fighting with my QuickBooks, even though I know how to do it. So I've opted to outsource that piece of my business. Um, so you know, there's lots of different ways to handle that, and I and I've run into coaches who outsource the sales piece. Um, I, I don't I don't really advocate that, given that um, I think based back on what you were saying, Peter. I think that you are selling yourself in addition to selling a proven process, um, not just yourself, but your company or whatever your company or school stands for, you're selling that as well. So I think all of that is a very personal, relationship-building venture. Um, and, Susie, so, mm-hmm. and so just to sum that up,
4: I just think you could, that's a hard thing to outsource, but, I, but people do it all the time. Susie, this is Janet from the Academy, and I, I, I want to say to everyone, I'm appreciating the conversation immensely because I think you're going to the heart of where the, the gate is on growing coaching. One of the things that we've been looking a lot at is the the notion of who is the individual being at the core of their belief system. Mm -hmm. If they hold sales and marketing as a thing to do, Mm -hmm. they miss the magic of who they are in the world and the kinds of people that will resonate to work with them because heart to heart, they know they can be trusted to take them places they wouldn't go before. And that the learning of a new belief system, that they are magical and magnificent exactly as they are, and they are adding on top of that a skill set of coaching, makes the enrollment process with clients almost a non-event. It's like, wow, all I have to be is show up and being me. But at at the center of that is a learning environment that really brings people to the beliefs they have that limit them in order to adopt the beliefs that,
6: open them. I'm Susie. Yeah. This is uh, Dave's work. At at the uh, ADD Coach Academy, uh, we've been in our eighth year of business, and for the first five or six years, we noticed that even coaches that had uh, developed tremendous skills were afraid to go out and talk about their practices because Uh there was a perception, piggybacking out what just said, a belief system that marketing and selling, uh, you know, were a taboo. Right. And, And in fact what we've done is we've integrated what we call positioning or reinventing your practice as a skill set that is part of a disciplined coaching conversation. And that in practicing that coaching conversation, we actually create role scenarios where we create these situations, go out and go to a party, go to a business uh, setting, and have a disciplined coaching conversation, but know how you're positioning and what the perception of your particular practice is.
0: Well, that's exactly that. You that you've just restated the exact premise of the book. It's about having a coaching conversation with the distinct purpose of um, making people aware of your service and your product. That's exactly
2: it. This is Marilyn Young, and and I joined a little late, and I apologize for that. Hi, but, Marilyn. Um, hi, um, Linda. When she asked the question and and made the statement, really that have we made the shift as educators? Um, for coaching. And I'm wondering, um, I come back with a question, how do we make that shift? And I know that it begins with us, and I think it's, uh, I can't remember the statistics in your book, Susie, but of the number of people who actually are making a good living at coaching. And I'm wondering, what comes up for me is, is this a good topic maybe for our May conference where we can together consider how do we make that shift? Do we even want to make that shift? I mean, I, I suppose that that's a question also um, to be asked. And, uh, and, um, but I'm wondering if this whole uh, topic is one that we might consider for our May conference. Hi, Bill. Good idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on for that. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's time you know, it, it, it uh, maybe wasn't time before, and maybe that's why uh, not a lot of this is built into our programs. But I love what um, uh, Peter said about really what we, we're cheating our clients and we're cheating the world out of a proven process for moving forward and for making a difference. And if we can find a way to really make that shift in our, in our own programs so that our students go out with that sense as opposed to thinking that they they have this wonderful uh, skill set and these this wonderful heart that they're taking out into the world. But you know what? If nobody knows about it, it's not making a difference at all.
0: It's, uh, yeah, it's just like an artist. You know, an
2: artist who paints beautiful pictures
0: but just lines the walls of her home with them and expects to be discovered, you know, that... Th- that Good doesn't point. work very well, you know, and, and I think you raise an excellent point, Marilyn, because it, it's really as simple, it boils down to as simple as what's in our way of speaking about what we're passionate about in the world in such a way that people want to come pay
2: us to do what we're passionate about doing. Right, and I think for us at the conference in May to have a, an opportunity to really explore with each other, how would we do that?
7: It's Linda. I, I think that's a great idea, Marilyn. And, and I think we should focus on making that mind shift for us personally, and then expecting that that will then uh, that that will then uh, you know ripple through our organization. Yep. So you know, for us personally as coaches or as uh, coach training providers, whatever. In other words, that we have a personal experience with the mind shift rather than talking about how we can change the program of our
2: organization
7: to include this.
2: you L- Lots different? of opportunities for rich conversation, I think, Linda. I just think it would be a fabulous topic. Well, and I'd also
0: personally love to be able to engage in conversations with each of you around whether or not the process and the 10 steps that's outlined in the book would integrate with your methodology and your program and your philosophy and, uh, you know, I know that you all have very different uh, programs, and I would be personally interested to find out if if there's a connection there, you know, if this concept of mindsets would support what you're teaching your students, sir, um, and whether or not the ten steps of the book really address it or not.
6: Mm Susie. Yeah question this is uh dave gork again um and uh when you were writing this book what i'm hearing correct me if i'm wrong but how you integrated how you coach with how you attract and that in fact your coaching skills and the skills that you integrate every day are one and the same just maybe repositioned or repackaged yes that's exactly right
0: um, and it's also around, there's a process that we go through in finding out, just like there's a process that we go through in finding out how we can bring our best self forth in our coaching and how we can coach from, a, from the most natural place for us and our experience base. It's the same thing in the business development process. You know, how do I bring forth who I am as a coach in, and my natural style and my personality and my learning style and my extroversion versus introversion and who I am, you know, all of that factors in. So it's different for each person, which is why it boils down to the mindset. And just like in any good coaching conversation, once you hit upon the mindset that's keeping you stuck and you start to explore possible ways to shift that and try on something new, then there's an opportunity for growth. So it, it happens in the same kind of growth steps that we see in personal development or executive development or leadership development and all the different places where we apply coaching. It's a, it translates, it maps on exactly onto the business development process.
6: So along those lines, uh, Susie, would be safe to say that what you're talking about is integrating a coaching skill set in a different way into current programs.
0: Yeah. That makes sense to me.
3: Susie, do you have a set of competencies? Because um, when, I, when I think about transferring the, the coaching skills I immediately go back to the 11 core coaching competencies that we have and the 69 sub-competencies underneath all of those. And it it makes intuitive sense when you say it's the same skill set that we want to have our coaches apply or for us to apply, as Linda has shared, in in our own work. Um, But I was just wondering if you'd articulated that through the the perspective of here's sales, marketing, business development, networking, And here are all those various skills in terms of how they apply.
0: No, I didn't do that.
3: Okay. But I
0: could. (laughs) I'm so confident that it does. I haven't. It's a great idea. I haven't looked at that. (laughs) Yeah? That's your next book. (laughs) My next book. Actually, no, my next book is is, is Seal the Deal Inside. Because I've been, for the past year, I've been doing so much of this work with my internal clients, my executives, um, and how it applies not just to those who want to sell services, but it applies to managing your career internally in an organization. Cool. So that's, that's the next version of it. But I think that makes perfect sense. I think it would be certainly very easy to go through the competencies and map it um, map it on. That would be a great way to organize it in your training, too.
3: Could
0: be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to weave a business development element into everything that you do in your training, that would be
4: great.
1: <laughs> yeah, That. that's what I was thinking about when I said to have it, you know, as a process all the way through.
4: Yeah. Holy
1: cow.
0: Boy, what a, I mean, I'm just, I'm just sitting here and thinking about the impact that that would have on, um, I mean, that's a quantum leap in coach training is what that is. If it just becomes um, ingrained in the, conver- in the coaching conversation, if it's not a separate thing that you have to do.
1: But well, we have to do it in the way that you're saying it. That would be the key.
3: Yeah. Well, this, this, it also occurs to me, this Peter again, that <clears throat> one of the conversations that we've had internally within ACTO, has been um, off and on over the last several years of, of having the expectations of students coming into our programs not, not think that, you know, they're going to spend three months with us in the first few courses and then go out and make $100,000 in coaching. Right. And we all have examples.
1: Yeah, I think that this is Carol from Newfield. I really like that idea, Peter, because I think that you know that's something that we tell people in the sales process before they actually enroll in the program. And their enthusiasm, as you were talking about Susie, for being wanting to be in service and for being a coach, et cetera, seems to kind of hide that until when it's time to put the pedal to the metal, you know. And uh, so I I think that would be, uh, uh, yeah, like it's part of our responsibility. I really like that idea.
0: I think going back to what Linda said, too, I I think, Linda, that was a very powerful question to consider, which is, you know, where are our mindsets being communicated to our students um, around business development and sales? And how do we get in touch with where our mindsets are um, holding us back and, and therefore holding our students back?
8: You know, um, Peter, that's an excellent um, uh, framework, the two-year framework is something I've run across. I'd be willing to go back and interview my top 25 successful students that I've had through our program in the last six years and ask them how long did it take and what were your formulas. Great idea. That might be something we can all do, just take a sampling of 25 maybe. It'd be difficult to do everybody. And uh, and bring that to the May conference. That would be some incredible data.
3: Linda, does that sound like research to you? <laughs> I love research. I love
8: research.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, and I have any a- other questions for Susie.
0: I haven't actually talked to my publisher about it, but I would be willing to negotiate on behalf of your various schools with him. If you wanted to um, make the book available to your students, I bet he would do some discounts for bulk orders, that kind of thing. Mm. And I'm not promising that on his behalf, but I'm willing to
1: negotiate that for on your behalf. <laughs> would, would you get back to us then, Susie, or, or via ACTO and, then, and let us know the outcome of that?
0: Yeah, well, if there's interest, yeah, I I don't want to open that conversation with him if there isn't sufficient interest for that, because I don't want him to get his hopes up for some mass quantity of sales that wouldn't then
8: materialize. Yeah. I I personally would require it for every student I'm in. Good job, Susie.
6: Thank you. Uh, Susie, I have to go. This is Dave Gork. I just want to thank you for expanding my awareness and giving me a lot of food for thought.
1: Oh, great. My pleasure.
6: Thanks.
1: Susie Astadria, you've got a few minutes left, and like about four. Is there anything else you want to say to us on this topic?
0: Uh, then I would love to. I would love to um, be in this dialogue with you, ongoingly. So I invite you all to contact me. My email is susie@innovativeleader.com and my phone number is 301-601-1525. <laughs> And I would love to just be in dialogue about what you're doing around business development training in your organizations and what you where you'd like it to go and if there's anything that I can do to support that or um, you know, just stay it's it's a dialogue that I enjoy being in, so I'm just um, I would love to open that up to you guys because I think you guys are the ones who are influencing all the future coaches. So to me that's important. Yeah.
1: Okay then. Has anybody got anything else they want to say in the next couple of minutes?
0: I just wanna thank you guys for um, having me here. It was this is delightful and I wanna acknowledge Marilyn Young for connecting me up with um this group and for Adria and Linda for making this call happen with me. So I'm just I'm it's been wonderful to be on this call with you all.
1: Thanks, thanks. Susie. Thank you. And before thank you, you very go, much, Susie. Thanks. Before you go people, the next call will be January fifteenth. So we're moving it ahead a week because of um the the holiday season. And Bill Lindbergh will be chairing that call, and it will be a town meeting planning call for next year for ACTO. So I hope you'll all be there. And then I think we have Marilyn on February. Yeah, uh, Marilyn O'Hearn. Yep. And uh, so that's it. So have a happy holiday, everybody. Thanks for joining the call. And thank you so much, Susie. Thank you. Thanks for your Take care. Bye, Take care. Bye-bye, everybody.
4: bye